0: The (coughs) subject for the evening talk is a commentary on some passages in a book which is called Do You See What I See? and the author is a man named J.J. No and it says on the back he is the founder of the Aspen Grove a spiritual community located in Denver, Colorado. In 1976, when I was uh, in India, I had been staying in South India near the, at the uh, Theosophical Society in Madras. And this book, which I, is published, I think, by, yes, by Quest Books, I was uh, introduced to this book through a friend of mine, and uh, read it through and One of the areas of the book and aspects of the book which I have appreciated in the book, is the way that the author speaks about the value of faith, trust in spiritual explorations and the f- in that I have taken uh, one of the passages and I would like to read through a paragraph to you and then give some commentary on what the author has written and from time to time uh, select another passage and uh, do likewise. He says, in, in one of the introductory paragraphs to the exploration of faith, Everyone has faith. It is only a matter of what it is placed in, what its object is. Most people put their faith in things that can be controlled and manipulated. This sort of faith is tenuous and tentative, since it's always conditional there is always an escape clause in one's commitment to faith. In fact, one's entire life is often no more than a large, non-binding contract. Faith is almost always placed in things that can either be controlled or escaped from, just in case you can't really trust it after all. A person may put his or her faith in spouse, in the economy, the stability of a government, the security of a job. But faith is always present in all things, even when one fights against it. So sometimes we look at our our life, and as the author points out, there's faith which is expressed through the conviction that we have, that by engaging in things and following things up, that faith... Be, will realize some kind of fruition, which will be of value for us. And we look to what we might call spiritual faith or religious faith. And that too has its um, presence for us. And sometimes what we notice, that kind of faith, is that the faith does need an object. Fairly, clearly defined. And in the definition of that object, there can be a response, mental and a heart response to that which we have faith in. That response which comes out then is, as it were, transferred to the faith, to, sorry, to the object, from the heartfelt or mind-felt faith, and in that we establish our relationship. In traditional, conventional religious life, that may be expressed as God. So one establishes God, one's heart, feelings, thoughts respond to that, one gives one's care and attention, one's love to that central theme, that central concept, and out of that relationship which one has formed, one's faith in that touches one. And as people, countless numbers of people do report, that where there is faith in God, in life, there is a reciprocal response which takes place and and it contributes to helping one to weather through some of the difficulties. And one sees the remarkable capacity of faith in someone or something which is identifiable through the naming process. And it seems rather secondary in the scheme of things whether there is, in this case, a religious faith, God or not. Whether there is something out there or within us or not, what we do see and hear in multiple ways is the witnessing of faith, the power of faith. Faith can move mountains. And we see this too in human interaction, where at times particular human beings with their presence, with their um, charisma, with their love, with their vibration, or whatever it might be. Human beings enter into relationship with such a person. One is touched by the person, one experiences things in a different way, in the presence of that person, and out of that dynamic, out of that relationship, faith is born. And we see this in multiple ways, repeating itself, and as he says, faith is always present in all things, even when one fights against it. And we see too as the author points out, with faith, that we are constantly expressing faith in countless situations, countless experiences, countless communications. The element of faith keeps revealing itself. But then sometimes when we we look and we say, what happens to me, however, when I put my faith in, whatever it might be in spiritual terms, and in putting my faith into something which takes place, I notice that the re- there can be reaction to that. I generate my focus. I'm looking for some response for it. And sometimes we notice that the element of faith is also carrying with it an expectation, a wish, all transferred along with the faith that one has. In the tradition, in the spiritual tradition, in this spirit, call it a spiritual tradition, in these ways of uh, exploration now, faith needs the support of our understanding. So if we're to ask ourselves, if we're really to take stock of our life and to really stop, and to really ask ourselves with faith, what shows to me my faith is how I'm spending my life. What I have faith in shows itself to me in the way my daily life is going. From the heart's perspective <coughs> the very darkness oh, sorry. from the heart's perspective, the very darkness which so intimidates the mind is itself light, the reality of the heart. To trust upon the field of the heart seems frightening and foolish, only to the mind. In the beginning, faith is blind. The mind is confronted with the parameters of its knowledge, the realm of the heart. Yet the mind does not know this. It does not believe it. So when the mind trusts, it does so tentatively, armed with its anxiety, scepticism, knowledge and defences. Yet if one is attentive and and sincere, one will see that this initial blind faith is justified after all. One will see the reasons for its validity. Over and over again, its validity is demonstrated. Finally, the mind's demands have all been fulfilled and it falls into the heart. It becomes the heart, light, faith, truth. The incomplete becomes the complete. The separated becomes rejoined. Ignorance falls prey to truth and each person's humanness becomes confirmed in being affirmed if, if one might take situation of a situation like this and I think it's a reasonable um, illustration one comes into the situation and there is very little prior knowledge to it one has heard something one has had some perhaps prior experiences to it and One's mind, the thoughts, the ideas, in that, dwell on the situation and one is thinking about, is this worth doing? Is this whatever it is, this process, this event, worth participating in, worth actually having faith in? As one begins to experience, as one begins to feel the situation of being a conscious human being, being silent and and Still and begins to explore that the mind feels the parameters of its knowledge, and one's heart, who we say, the feeling life begins to settle into that. And when we begin to notice something happening, that the experience supports the faith. One begins to feel some benefit, something useful is taking place in the silence and the stillness and togetherness, and the experience of that says this, in some way or other, is worth having faith in. The mind still may not be able to comprehend why, it may not make sense at the mental level, but somewhere in the silence and the stillnesses and just being alive, just sitting and walking, the heart begins to respond. So the initial mental life, as it says, can be, as many of you know when you come in, armed with anxiety, scepticism, knowledge, and defences. Armed with anxiety, scepticism, knowledge, and defences. And if one is attentive and sincere, one will see that this initially blind faith is justified after all. One will see the reasons for its validity. I wonder if we have seen the reasons for its validity the skepticism the anxiety the knowledge and the defences what would what would what would validate that in coming into a situation in which we start experiencing that agitation and we might be telling ourselves i shouldn't experience this i should be much more have much more faith i should just let that go what could be useful about those intimations in our mental life. And I think there's a certain kind of caution, even in the difficulty. And that caution, as he, ref- as he mentioned uh, a little while before, that, the, that kind of caution, even the anxiety, which is a, an appropriate kind of caution, which can have much wisdom in it, in a way is telling us, hey, I may not be able to have control over this situation. I may not be able to manipulate this situation. I'm not sure if I want to put my conventional faith into being here, because I'm not sure what's going to happen, how it's going to unfold for me. And that that doubt, which one may not recognize, shall we say, fully enough, manifests as our anxiety, as our defenses, as our knowledge. That even in that state, there can be an understanding for us. The problem is that we have no faith in our faith. Faith exists because of the nature of reality. We need, therefore, to do nothing to live in faith, but to allow the current processes of life to continue unhindered by our own fear. We must begin to trust the very processes and reality we currently utilize and live in without trust. For these reasons, I say, that we are already living in truth as truth, faith as faith, but we are afraid of it. We are already living in truth as truth, faith as faith because, as he says, faith exists because of the nature of reality. Where there is reality, where there is this world that you and I are participating, there is faith. But something goes on in which we miss the current of that, We miss the sense of faith manifesting as an expression of reality. If they take not an unusual example. We look at a situation around us and see in that situation which is around us that it's having a substance to it, a real strength to it, and it seems to be really impacting on us. And to the degree that the situation around us is impacting on us is to the degree that we feel undermined by the impact. And then, in that perception, we feel that person, that group, that situation is controlling or dominating over my life, that this person is then granted a power and the person truly feels, appears to be powerful, and to the degree that we've established the powerfulness of the person, of the situation, is to the same degree that we feel our powerlessness. Sometimes we make in religious life an immense virtue of it. We select the powerful And one says, I feel nothing in his presence, in her presence, in their presence. And then we use the knowledge, the information, to reinforce that perception of great and small. Sometimes it's not in the religious life, it's in other expressions of life. Then we say a certain group of people, a certain class of people, uh, a certain gender of people, or whatever, and we look at the situation, we view it in those terms, we feel the power outside, we feel the powerlessness inside, and we imagine that's the truth of the situation, the whole truth. Why? Because we have So much faith in the perception. We come to rely on the perception and the impact of the past and of impressions and feelings and experiences and all of that carries a faith in what we see. The title of the book is Do You See What I See? I'm not sure if he's seeing that way. And we get, we get a kind of conviction in ourselves, in the rightness of the view, the rightness of the perception, the rightness of the feelings. I wonder, he says, faith exists because of the nature of reality. I wonder... If you and I, if we can find time to stop and to pause and to ask ourselves, what have I got, what kind of faith do I use, which I put into my perceptions? What's typical for me in my communications with other people that I put into my perceptions that I get such a conviction about the perceptions rather than a faith in something bigger than the perceptions? So we see there's this whole mesh entering into the perception and we're asking ourselves, can my faith free itself from a limited faith determined by my perception of the situation? Do I have enough faith in myself and in life itself and the nature of reality to say, I'll question my faith in this perception? I really will question this faith in it. I'll risk the confusion. I'll risk the muddled-mindedness. I'll risk the anxiety, the agitation, the defenses, and all that springing out in order to see whether my faith in that can open its doors to move the mountain of that perception which we have so much faith in. Faith is not something experienced, once, and then forever after, possessed. This is one of the great tragedies, I think, in religious life. One has an experience. The experience shakes up the perceptions. Doesn't matter where the experience is, validated as true or not true, whether it's based on a, a myth, or based on, a, on the nature of, of things or whatever, there's an experience. We've had our range of experiences. And then we have faith born out of that. But then so very easily, out of the knowledge of the experience, the faith comes in, in the memory of the experience. I met somebody, I was engaged in a meditation, I was doing something or whatever. I had this experience, the sensation of it is dissolved, it's left me with the memory, and out of that memory I've made my faith. I read the books. I read the (laughs) book, I read the books which give support to my memory of the experience. I talk with the people who talk the same language of memory to help confirm the experience. So my faith is wrapped with the past and with the experience and with that I make a possession of my faith. I carry my faith from day to day, week to week, but it's a faith not related to the nature of things. It's a faith related to what was. And one wonders in spirituality, in exploration, which is the same thing, whether the faith that is related to what was can be said to be a faith. and might just be the intrusion of memory. in the disguise of lots of key concepts. Whether it's called God, Allah, Jesus, Buddha, meditation, realisation, enlightenment, whatever the fancy word of the day. In the beginning, in the past, there is only blind faith. This is the unconscious, ignorant form of faith in which there is no understanding, only blind faith. In this form of faith, the individual has no reasons or justifications for his, her, or her faith. The result of this is that his his or her faith is highly prejudiced, bigoted, unreasoned. It is impossible to reason with this sort of faith. It is not approachable in any form of communication. This form of faith largely results from attachments, preferences, forms of resistance, and true avoidance. It is used to short circuit thought and reason, to outwit the mind, a form of irrationality, in that it, is, then it is nothing more than a functional form of ignorance. and we pay the price, humanity pays the price, life pays the price for positing the past, memory, experiences, beliefs, and the old, and putting our faith there. Faith is in the nature of things. Sometimes With faith, if it is in the nature of things, as much as the trees and the flowers and the sky and the earth and the people and the creatures, if it belongs to the nature of things, sometimes we notice with our faith that it's not just faith of past, but the faith also of present in relationship to future and the appearance of those three presentations of time. So sometimes we look at ourselves, we ask ourselves, well, where's my faith? What's worth having faith in? What would it be to lead a truly faithful life? Faithful to life, faithful to the processes, What what would that really mean for me? And sometimes, because of the relationship to the present, the relationship keeps changing back and forth and there's no standard perception of the the present. Sometimes you and I, we look at the present and the way we look at it is as the effect of the past. I am simply... Here, the way that I am, my experiences, what makes me up. In this perception, I see that this is the, I regard it as the effect of yesterday or yesteryear. What I'm doing with my life, it seems to be owing to what's gone before it. So the perception is expressing a faith in this position, in this view. That that's the way it is. Sometimes the perception and the element of faith with the perception alters itself, and I look at the present, and I'm not looking at it so much as the effect of the past, I'm looking at it as the cause for the future. And I th- the way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling and looking at things, I'm th- it's along the lines of If I start doing this now, if I get this going now, and this becomes my beginning, then I will move forward into whatever. So what does it mean? If I can look at the same what I call life, what we call nature, here and now, whatever, and my perceptions can one minute turn one way and one minute turn the other, what does it have to say about my perceptions? doesn't have to show us the relativity of the view. If it shows us the relativity of the view, who on earth are we to forecast what will be? No matter how many storylines our, our perception shows about the possibilities for us, If one honestly asks oneself, one can generate another multiple number of different storylines. How come we are willing to invest in a single storyline, or one or two storylines of what might be the outcome of what I'm experiencing today? How come the faith is narrowed down to a perception or two? So I wonder whether we can not only, as it were, liberate ourselves, but in a way, liberate faith from the restrictions of perception. What would that mean? What would that feel like inside of us? I what, said, what can I do to f- liberate faith from the narrowness of perception? What kind of way would I feel about life? feel about past, present and future, acknowledging the conventionality of past to present, present to future, not denying those conventional arrangements and agreements, but what would it be to have faith which doesn't seem restricted to the perception? This form of faith, this narrow form, largely results from attachments, preferences, forms of resistance, and true avoidance. It is used to short-circuit thought and reason to outwit the mind, a form of irrationality, in that it's nothing more than a functional form of our ignorance. This form of faith, blind faith, is adhered to like a drunk to liquor. It's a comfort and a consolation. Sometimes, I think we notice now, looking in our relating that the faith to question, the faith to look again and to look again and again seems to weaken the very structure of the positioning. And sometimes, as the mystics have said, the sages have said, and as you know as well, sometimes there is a kind of discontent which is taking place inside of us because we begin to sense, actually, I've got nothing really to rely upon. Actually, I've got nothing really, nothing really substantial that I can really call fixed, stable, and certain. And sometimes in these kind of spiritual explorations, sometimes one is envious of those with strong faith in God, strong faith in truth, strong faith in Buddhism or or otherism or whatever. It seems they've got it easier because they've got something clear which they can hang on to. And it's here, it's as though the ground is constantly being swept from under one's feet, and no sooner does one settle down, that ground is whipped away. Not easy life. Not easy life. So, what kind of faith is it which says, I cannot rely on the perceptions. I cannot rely on a particular object and yet faith shows itself. It's a startling faith which allows a person to sit as we've been doing, we have been doing several hours every day, not move and experience degrees of pain in the body which make absolutely no sense. There's no reason, there's no order to it, there's no clarity and seemingly no purpose to it. There's no one who says to you, how many times have you sat today? How often have you come into this room? How long did you sit still? What time did you start up in the morning? What time did you go to bed last night? Nobody says that and none of us care. And one sits, and one hurts, and one pains, and one wonders why. (laughs) So sometimes the mind is out of its depth. It just isn't the vehicle, as it were. And there's some kind of faith which is somehow inexplicable so inexplicable in that it keeps revealing itself in countless situations, again and again and again, but it seems like in the countless situations, where it's, and it's constantly present in every one of them, it seems like the faith gets fragmented. Faith moving. Can we liberate that faith into a non-moving faith? That somehow the faith is the nature of things. Somehow the nature of things is the revelation of the faith. Somehow the unfolding is the faith unfolding. For a mystic, knowledge is totally metaphorical and symbolic in that it reveals nothing. (laughs) Knowledge merely alludes to what is. It explains nothing. Therefore, a mystic is not bound to be logically consistent in his or her knowledge of the world or in the explanations of it. The important thing It is not whether one knows the world or can explain it at all. The important issue is whether one can live in the world, appreciate the world, accept the world for what it is as it is. The important thing is not whether one knows the world or can explain it. The important issue is whether one can live in the world, appreciate the world, accept the world for what it is as it is. We live in a metaphorical, allegorical, symbolic, magical, mystical world in which we may either frolic enjoyably or labor agonizingly. I point to the magic of spiritual life as a way of indicating the magic in all that is. Still at the root of all explanations is a basic barrier of intuition, intuition in faith, Holds the world together. Explanations explain nothing. Explanations explain nothing. And sometimes the sense of that some intimations inside of us begin to affirm, in a way, the truth of it. Begin the deepest being of the human being begins to sense that the knowledge doesn't reveal anything; that it simply eludes. And sometimes, when we, we when we let the intimations of that, the intuitions, as as the author writes ri- writes there, then if the knowledge doesn't reveal anything, if it's only alluding and it is much belonging to the, what are the words he uses, the mystical. It's just belonging to all of that. And then if the knowledge is in that way, that intuition, that sense means what kind of faith for that? All the knowledge is not what it is all about. Neither the knowledge of the past, nor the knowledge derived from the present, nor the knowledge used to infer the future. We say, we say that explains nothing. And we sense that in which somehow we sense it, then the se- from the sensing comes the faith. Not has no division to it, not tied to perception, not tied to the knowledge because we've been so utterly still, we've born with the stillness of things, we've born with the silence of things, we've seen the m- functions of the mind and its usefulnesses and its knowledge and all that's passed through, we've seen it's not explaining anything, then the faith can come. Faith has moved the mountains. So I say this life of faith is a life of faith. It's a life of very deep faith. But it's a faith without a language. It's a faith without a history, without a past. But it's truly a life of immense faith. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please?